0: Friends, as I said, it is good to be together this morning. It's good to see your faces and um, and to have you with us online. I want to start by acknowledging that uh, we're. This is the first Sunday of our season of pastoral transition in the, the in the time of the church. Um, and that is difficult. That's a, change is always tough, even for people who love change. <laughs> change is difficult. And so I just want to acknowledge that up front and just, um, just ask us all to be in a spirit of grace with one another as we work through this transition. Um, leading up into the summer. If you, if you hadn't heard, our uh, senior pastor, Lori Beth Huffman, is on spiritual renewal leave from now until the end of June, and we will have a new appointment from the cabinet um, starting July 1st. And so between now and then, uh, we are in a season of transition. Um, but, you know, our church has been around for almost 155 years. And we've always been a part of the Methodist system that uh, facilitates pastoral changes for us sometimes, whether we want them or not, right? Um, the change comes, and that's a part of being in the Methodist system, but part of the beauty of that is that we are the church, and we continue to be the church no matter who is in the senior pastor office, and so we uh, have been through these changes before. This will be the, the, the fourth senior pastor that I've worked with in my 10 years here. Vern, I know, has been through many as well, a, a couple more than me. Colette, same thing, um, but as I said, we've, the church has been around for a long time, Um, The church Big C has been around for 2,000 years, and there have been a lot of leadership changes in that church uh, over the 2,000 years. This church has been here 155 years almost. We have an amazing staff, and we have everything that we need, not only to just kind of stabilize through this time of transition, but to continue living into the mission and vision that God has given us. And so we're going to do exactly that. We're going to keep moving forward as God has called us and put on our hearts to do. And so just invite you to do that again, like I said, with a, with a spirit of grace, um, because it isn't easy. Um, and, and I just want to remind you that um, our mission and vision hasn't changed, right? We are still about loving our community and inviting all to discover life in Christ. We are still about transforming people for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, transforming disciples. Those things have not changed. And so while we may be anxious or uncertain about who's coming next and how's that gonna happen, um, that's normal, but we also know who's already here. And we know who is already the head of our church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And so we just continue to follow his lead through this season of transition into the next season of blessing that he has for us. And so I want to say that up front and just remind us that that's who we're, that's who's leading us. <laughs> it's not me, it's not Vern, although we're going to do our best uh, with Patty and Laura and all the rest of the staff. Um, it's Jesus that's leading us. And so we're in good hands. We're in good hands. So it was a perfect summer day. And I was about 12 years old and the sun was shining in Western Michigan. It is, summer is a glorious time to be in Western Michigan. This time of year, not so much. Summer is glorious. And it was one of those beautiful, beautiful summer days, late August. Uh, the sun was shining. It was probably 85 degrees outside. The water at Lake Michigan was just calling and inviting me. Uh, and so my friend, my best friend and I decided to ask my dad, hey, can you take us, can you take us to the beach? Because what else are you going to do on a beautiful sunny day in August but go to the beach? And we got there and as we walked down the path, there's kind of a wooden path that leads down to, to the beach. And there's this, it's one of my favorite things to do. You just come into this opening. It's this big, huge expanse of blue sky and, and endless waves out before you. If you haven't been to Lake Michigan before, it looks a lot like the ocean. The waves are formed a little differently, but you can't see the other side. Like, it's, it looks like an ocean, and it's gorgeous. And on this day, it was particularly so. And there were a ton of people there, and, and my friend and I were so excited to be able to just play in the waves because there was a breeze. Uh, a lot of times in late August, it, it does get a little bit breezy, and so the waves get a little bit bigger. And as a 12-year-old boy, like that was just the most fun thing in the world to do was to go and to play at the beach and in the waves. And so my buddy and I... Uh, just run down to the water. My dad kind of pitched a chair and, and was just sitting there just hanging out and, and uh, watching us enjoy the waves. And we just we got in and the water was perfect. It wasn't cold, it wasn't too warm, it was just right. And we're just playing in the waves and, and just body surfing and just diving and and being pushed around and, and having so much fun. It was a glorious day. But then something changed. Uh, the, it seemed like the wind picked up just a little bit, the waves got a little bit rougher. And again, I'm only 12 years old, and I, I was a good, I'm was i a good swimmer because m- my parents made me take swimming lessons forever and ever uh, from our local YMCA until I passed all of the certifications for all the swimming levels. Um, hated that at the time, but really grateful for it now. <laughs> um, so I was a good swimmer. So my dad wasn't concerned about me and my buddy, and of course he's watching us, and, and, and there were lots of other people out there, but... The wind picked up, and the waves picked up, and all of a sudden, I found myself being pulled out from the shore. And I, as I said, was a good swimmer, and so I'm trying as hard as I can, and I'm I'm swimming and I'm remembering, honestly, I'm not remembering any of the lessons, I'm just like swim, swim for it. And I'm still, as hard as I try, I'm still being pulled out. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I going to do? And that's when I caught the swimming buoy right next to me. I caught a vision of this this buoy that was out there kind of marking the, the end of where you're supposed to be swimming. And so I just, with everything that I could, just heaved toward that buoy and grabbed onto it. And just held on for dear life. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm holding onto this buoy, and the waves kept coming. I mean, they're just pounding over my head, over my shoulders, and I'm trying to hold on to this thing and just grasping as tight as I can. And thankfully, at that moment, somebody who was in the water, an adult who was in the water, saw me and came over and reached his hand out to me and said, come on, let's go. And I got to tell you, I... I I had this buoy, and I knew the buoy wasn't going anywhere. And the guy who was offering to help me was, was over here. And I wasn't sure I wanted to let go, even though I knew that he could help me. I'm also thinking in my head, I mean, how tall is this guy? Is he strong enough? Like the waves are hitting him too? It was chaos. But finally, I did go ahead and, and let go and reach out for him. And he grabbed my hand, and he walked me back to where I could touch again. And that was that was a really, really scary moment for me. I've never played in the waves quite the same since. I've always had that day in my mind. And sometimes I feel like that's how life comes at us, doesn't it? Especially if you look at this last year, it just seems like wave after wave, and and all we can do sometimes is just reach out and grasp onto something that we think is going to save us. And sometimes we grasp for things that are healthy and good and helpful, and sometimes we grasp for whatever is nearest to us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What is it that we are grasping for in times, especially in times of trouble? Last week in our Lenten series, we talked about the mask of perfection, these these masks that we put on to cover up for all of the sin in our lives and all the things that we wish were different about us. Well, how did we get here? How did we get to a point where where we feel like we need to wear a mask? Well, Oftentimes, it's by choosing to grasp on to the wrong things. And to reach out and to hold on to something less than God's best for us. And so we're going to look at some of those ways of living today and and some of the ways that um, God invites us to live in light of the waves that are crashing over us. And so today we're going to read from Scripture from Acts chapter 17. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 27. And in this passage, Paul goes to Athens and meets with some of the people there, and he he finds people who are searching, people who are grasping for something, looking for something to hold on to. And so let's listen to that exchange here from Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse 16 uh, for a little bit of background. Here we go. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching, what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul found himself in Greece and made his way to Athens where the people of the day talked about the current ideas. And so it mentions that he was meeting, first of all, he went to the, to the synagogue and was meeting with the Jews there and talking to them about this Jesus figure and his resurrection. And the people who would meet at the Areopagus, I have a, I have a picture of the Areopagus. It was a, Areopagus means big rock, basically. This is what it looks like looking down from, uh, from the Acropolis in Athens. This is what you would, what you would be seeing um, and so people used to gather here in Paul's day, and, and actually well before Paul's day, and talk about the current philosophy of the day. I, this is the place where Plato and Socrates lived, and talked about all of the, all the great thinking of, in human history. Right? That this is this is where a lot of that happened. They also held trials there. They had they had lots of gatherings, and people who were very prominent in Athens would gather and meet. there, kind of like a, the Senate would meet in our in our country. This is a, this is a meeting place for the most influential thinkers and movers and shakers in Athens. And so Paul comes along and starts preaching and explaining and teaching about this Jesus. And the people of Athens thought, well, hey, this is, this is something new. This is interesting. And especially for pagans in that time, for, they had lots of gods, as we, as we read. We, were, as Paul walked around the city, he saw lots of monuments and, and altars, made out to even, even an unknown God. And so it would have been natural for them to say, hey, uh, tell me about your God. What's you got? Maybe we'll add your God to our collection. Maybe we'll build an altar to this God. That would have been totally normal for them to do. And the thing that Paul recognizes in them is a desire to worship Something. He was disturbed as he walked around town and and saw lots of idols, including the one to an unknown God, but he recognized and affirmed in them something that is built into us from our creator, and that is a desire to worship. And Paul says, hey, you know that unknown God that you're talking about? I'm going to make that God known to you. And so he proceeds to go ahead and, and, and unpack who Jesus is and what the resurrection means. And all of that would have been, the resurrection especially would have been new teaching, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, I, I want to spend a minute just thinking about the fact that these Athenians had an impulse to worship. They were created to worship. We're all made to worship, and we all worship something, whether we call it worship or not, whether we acknowledge it as spiritual or not. The way that we spend our time, the way that we invest our energy, the way that we uh, spend our money and our resources, the way that we serve or not in the community, all of those things are indications of what it is or who it is that we worship. And so Paul says, hey, this is good. You like to worship. Me too. Let me tell you who's worthy of all of our worship. John Calvin said, the human mind is a perpetual factory for idols. The human mind is a perpetual factory for idols. We are, as human beings, we have a tendency to just reach out for whatever we feel will satisfy our needs or meet our comfort or numb our pain or or dull our, our, our experience in the world. Allow us to think about something else. Check out we are our human mind is a perpetual factory for idols we are conditioned to reach out and grasp on to something we think will help it's the condition of sin in our world that gives us uh, the impulse to reach for unhealthy things augustine said though in his confessions and we might get more into confessions here in a couple of weeks when we talk about confessing our sins augustine said this you have made us for yourself o lord And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And as we go back and look through the biblical narrative, there are lots of examples of this restlessness and this searching, right? We see it first in the garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve reaching out for the fruit That they were told they couldn't have, reaching out for the knowledge that they thought God was withholding from them. So it started very early, reaching out and clinging. And the consequences of that are still with us today. We see it uh, in the story of Jacob. Do you remember Jacob and Esau? They were two brothers. We, 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 uh, oftentimes we look through the Old Testament and see kind of the heroes of the Old Testament. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a brother named Esau, and Jacob, from the beginning, was reaching. He had a twin brother, Esau, who was born just before him, and before, right before that, as he's being born, Jacob reached out and grabbed Esau's heel. And Jacob's name means one who grasps. So his very name, he's living into this tendency that we have to reach out for something, to to take something, to to take control, to make us feel better, to to give us a better understanding of what's important in the world. That that tendency to reach and to grab is, 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 is within us. Jacob is an interesting story of grab. I invite you to go back and read it. It's around in Genesis 30, 31, 32. It talks about the story of his life. Um, and so he starts off by grabbing his brother's heel. He eventually steals his brother's birthright. Uh, his mom talks him into stealing his brother's blessing and inheritance. Um, and then he wrestles with God. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. He actually wrestles with God. He reaches out and grabs on to God in the middle of the night. And they have this wrestling match. And Jacob says, bless me. And, and, and God... God responds and says, Well, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. And Jacob again means, means grabber or deceiver or one who strives. And he says, No longer are you gonna be Jacob, now you are going to be Israel, because you have wrestled with God. And Israel means <laughs> wrestles with God. This is, the, this is the name for the people for which we are, are grafted into salvation of the world, right? Israel struggles with God. This is who we are as God's people. We are ones who struggle with God, reaching out, grasping. Uh, it's right there from the very beginning. We see the Israelites, of course, as we follow their story through the Exodus, and they, they're following Moses, and Moses is leading them. They were, they were saved from slavery, right? God saved them from slavery, delivered them into the, into the well, first into the desert. Um, and as they're wandering, being formed for the promised land, they're still reaching, and they're still grasping. You remember what happened with the Ten Commandments? Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God. God gives uh, God's people the best possible way to live. Here are the rules for life that will set you up to live in abundance. while they're up there, they take too long, right? And so the very people that were delivered by the hand of God are sitting there, and they're saying, what happened to that Moses fellow? I don't know where he is. Let's make our own God. And so they make a golden calf. Right? They are reaching. They're figuring out what is it that they want to worship? Who are they going to find? They were just saved. Right? And they're still like, ah, we don't know what happened to Moses. Hey, we got this gold. Let's do something cool. Let's make an idol. Let's make an altar. And they do that. I, sometimes I think it's hard, it's, it's hard for us to understand that. But aren't we just like exactly the same way? God shows up in, in faithfulness and does something in our lives. And like 10 minutes later, we're like, I don't know, God. I don't know where you are. Uh, I'm going to cling to this. <laughs> It's so human, and it's throughout the biblical narrative. I, this is one of my, this is also one of my, I have a lot of favorite scriptures. Uh, this is one of my favorites, too, about grasping. We're going to take a look at Ecclesiastes. The writer of Ecclesiastes is, Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible, just kind of sayings and, and things about life, things that people have learned about life. Ecclesiastes is, uh, many people think it was, it was written by Solomon, um, one of the wisest leaders of all of, of Israel. And here's what Solomon, or here's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has to say about reaching and grasping. He starts off in verse one, verse 2. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, that's a great start. Um, Let's let's keep reading. Chapter 2. This writer who supposedly learned everything, and one of the wisest people who ever lived, he says this. uh, Chapter 2, rather. The beginning of chapter 2. I said to myself, come now. I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people and to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. He goes on to talk about, so he, so he didn't find any pleasure or any, he didn't find any, any wisdom, any help, any, any meaning In seeking pleasure. So then he turns to work and says, I took on all kinds of projects. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs and and flourishing trees. He goes on to talk about all this work that he'd done, and then he comes to this conclusion. Verse 10, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. So I tried all this stuff and he says this, verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Meaningless. A chasing after, you ever try to chase the wind How does that work out? Not very well, but that's the condition that we find ourselves in as human beings in a sinful world. We're reaching out constantly for things that we think will satisfy. And in the end, all of it is like a chasing after the wind. Meaningless. back to Acts. So Paul comes to Athens and he finds these people who are searching, who are looking for new ideas, who are trying to understand how is it that life works? How is it that we are put together? What should our purpose be? How should we devote ourselves to living? How do we spend this, this, this few years that we have on the earth in the best possible way? And Paul sees these idols all around. You've got these idols to unknown gods even. Let me make known the living God to you. And so he can see, and you saw the, the picture of the, um, of the Areopagus. It's a beautiful place, right? It's a place where if you went and you stood on the top of there, you would be able to see. You could see the, the beautiful city of Acropolis. You could see out over the, over the whole city of Athens. You could see the beauty of creation. And this meant something to that. It means something to anyone who is human to stand on top of a mountain, right? And, and to look out and just go, oh, wow. You feel something in that moment. And so Paul is is, is smart enough to know, hey, I'm going to use that impulse, that human impulse of, of, of reflecting on the beauty and nature around us and say, hey, you look at this nature and you look at things in this nature and you come up with these gods that that represent these different aspects. Let me tell you about the God who made all of this stuff. And let me tell you about God's son, Jesus, who came and stepped into this world and redeemed all of this stuff and gave us the option to stop reaching frantically and grasping and chasing the wind gave us the opportunity to reach out and grab on to the hand of the creator of the universe and to follow him instead of all that other stuff you're following and chasing. And here's the interesting thing about Jesus and the creator of the universe. Look at how God goes about salvation through Jesus. Look at how God goes about salvation in Jesus. Jesus doesn't hold on, right? Jesus doesn't grasp on to anything except his father. That's how salvation is accomplished. Jesus doesn't think that equality with God is something that should be grasped or or held on to, as it says in Philippians chapter two, but instead Jesus humbled himself taking on the form of a servant, humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. This is how God saves. God reaches out for us and offers freedom. Jesus says, whoever clings to their life is going to lose it, and and, and whoever lets go for my sake will find it. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will. I'm scared, I'm tired, I don't want to do this. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And he reaches out his hands on the cross and he lets go of his spirit. This is how God saves. Tradition and, based on some of Scripture in First Peter and some other places, holds that when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into hell. Now you might not know that because as Methodists we don't say that when we recite the Apostles' Creed Um, for whatever reason. John Wesley didn't like that line and he decided to take it out. Um, But it's in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. Um, How did Wesley get away with that? He must have had a like massive charge conference or something i don't know um i'm not sure how that happened but that line's not in there but tradition is and it's in the apostles creed jesus descended into hell and what tradition says and what what we read in scripture is that he went down into hell and reached out his hands and grasped the hands of those who wanted to be with him grasped the hands of those who were willing to reach out and acknowledge jesus as lord and savior And that's how far Jesus is willing to go for you and for me, even to the depths of hell, to reach out and say, hey, I've got a better way. Come with me. And so the question is, are we willing to reach back and say yes? Today, February 28th, is my son James's fourth birthday. Here's a picture of James on his third birthday. Um, Very surprised and incited, as he likes to say, um, by all the presents that he was receiving, particularly this uh, piece of construction uh, equipment. He loves loves trucks. He loves tractors. He loves construction. uh, He loves anything that makes noise, um, rescue equipment, all that stuff. So he was very excited last year on his birthday. This year he's got a stack of presents uh, waiting for him uh, when I get home so that we can celebrate his, his fourth birthday. Um, but he loves his toys. He loves them so much um, that he constantly collects them and he brings them with him. And sometimes he'll bring a bag and he'll put them in the bag and he'll, he'll carry his bag with him. And I'll say, what are you doing, buddy? Well, I, just, I, I need these. I want to bring these to, you know, to show my friend or to show grandpa or whatever. He's, he's got his collection. And sometimes he doesn't have a bag and he just tries to like, gather them all up in his hands and, like, and carry them. And we have, a, we have a minivan, that's how I usually am I'm carting him around town, and so he'll sit in the van, and he'll, like, he'll pour all of his toys in the van, and then when it's time to get out, I'm, I'm usually in a hurry, right? And James is like, wait, daddy, and he'll sit there, and he'll pick up, and he'll gather all of these toys, and he'll get them in his arms, but then it's time to get out of the minivan, and that's a big step for a four-year-old, and so I'll say, here, come here, buddy, let me take your hand, and he's just clutching his toys, well, no, I No, I have my toys, Dad. I'm like, well, just go ahead and just put them down and let me take your hand and I can help you down. No. And so he's, more than once, he's actually tried to take that step and (laughs) lost some toys and fallen on skinned knees and things like that. But I think that's so indicative of us, though, right, as humans, to hold on to our stuff, to, to keep clinging on to the things that we think are comfortable or are going to make us happy and not be willing to reach out and take God's outstretched hand the God who says I am happiness I am fulfillment I am everything you need and so my question this morning is what is it that you are holding on to that God might be inviting you to set down in order to reach out for more of God's help and God's presence. Seek the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah says. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus says and all these other things that you need. I know that you need them, but all the rest of these things will be added to you. God opens up his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing, Psalm 145. Uh, Christ reaches up and, and, and invites the lame to walk. He stretches out his hand to heal the sick. He pulls the lost from the very depths of hell and he still reaches for you and for me. If only we're willing to reach back. Because the thing is, no matter what we've done, No matter who we are, all the things that we feel like we have to cover up with our masks, all the things that we've reached for that are less than God's best, all the things that have nothing to do with God that we've reached for and and clung to and, and derived identity from, all that stuff doesn't matter to God. What matters is your heart and that you would just reach out back to him. And that's what God offers us a chance to do in the midst of our, our, our turmoil, in the midst of our uh, chaos, in the midst of our lives, when things aren't going well, even when they are going well, to reach out and realize that God will never let you go. That is the invitation this morning. That is where the redemption is found in the mess of our lives this morning, is acknowledging in faith that we can reach out and grab onto the God who reaches out and grabs onto us forever. And I have to tell you, as I, as I wind down, I, there are, you always beware when a pastor says when I wind down, right? Who knows? Who knows how much longer? Um, but listen, we are in a place right now, unlike anything we've ever lived through in history, right? We're coming, hopefully we're coming out, like we're here, we're gathered, it's awesome. Uh, we are coming out of this pandemic, I hope, by God's grace and strength. And so as we emerge from here, we are in a place we've never been before. We are in a place of unprecedented searching. We're in a place where people are looking for answers. The whole foundation of how they thought, how we thought the world worked has been changed, right? Everybody's asking questions about purpose and meaning and what's important and how do I want to invest my my time and my life and my energy. Everybody's asking those questions right now. And as we come out of it, As we come out of the pandemic, back into whatever this next phase of life looks like, the new normal, whatever you want to call it, people are searching like never before. And so we have an opportunity, just like Paul did, just like Paul did, to reach out to them in their searching and to say, hey, man, it's been tough, hasn't it? people are going to ask you, how did you you get through this? And what's your answer going to be? I hope that you're ready to share the ways in which, for Paul, Paul, it was an experience with Jesus. He met the living Christ and that's how he shared. Let me tell you about this God of the universe, this God of all creation. And so I wonder for you, in what ways have you noticed God's faithfulness through this past year and and beyond that? In what ways have you, in a moment of desperation, reached out and, and, and clung to something and then realized that God was offering you his hand and reached out to that instead to recognize God's blessing and God's help and God's healing and God's wholeness and God's salvation for you? I invite you to be remembering those stories in the weeks to come because people are going to want to know how did you get through the pandemic? Like what gives you hope that things are getting better? What do you reach out for? What do you cling to? All the things that uh, I read from Ecclesiastes, life is meaningless, 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 the writer says over and over again. He ends with this. He concludes, after after 12 chapters of talking about the meaninglessness of life, he concludes with this. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we need to do. (laughs) And what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. God created this world. God offered salvation so that Acts 17, 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any of us. I pray, Lord, I pray that you will recognize God's nearness and reach out and tell others about this God who has redeemed you. Amen. Amen.